Welcome to another week of Knuckleball Radio. Here, I am Cody Lefko. It's alongside me, Brandon Gilden, my partner in crime for the show. And Brandon, we know we usually do it on Sunday. We decided Monday was the better day with the trade deadline coming up. And man, it was a pretty exciting trade deadline. We'll get to that later. First off, like we do every week, let's lead it off with a recap of the previous week. Starting it off, Clayton Kershaw left his start with back stiffness. Heads to the DL, a huge dagger for the Dodgers. That's a huge letdown for Clayton Kershaw. I know right away he was frustrated by his injury. I watched the interview after the game, and he was telling fans the hours and hours that he spent on back therapy to help avoid this type of injury. And the fact that it happened, he was quote-unquote pissed off. Another pitcher actually ended up on the DL this week. Steven Strasburg of the Washington Nationals, headed to the DL for the ninth time since 2010. It's amazing. I mean, I was looking at the stats. I was watching the game after he went on the DL, and this tied for the second most amount of times on the DL since that 2010 span. There were two or three other players who went on it ten times, but nine times, and I mean, this was something that everybody was afraid of. He was going to go back. All, it's pretty much all the same thing as well. It's always in that throwing elbow, which is the scariest part of it all. Um, but somebody who's not on the DL, somebody who's been outstanding, and I mean, he was on the DL earlier this year, but has avoided it for the majority of his career. Zach Britton, 55 consecutive saves dating back to October 1st of 2015. He set the American League mark, and really he only trails Eric Gagne in all of baseball history with 84 in a row and Gagne was with that dominant Dodgers team from 02 to 04. Yeah, I mean, Zach Britton's key to being successful is he's able to locate his pitch and keep it down. If you watch replays, he's always keeping the ball down and low, always under the zone, having batters just swing at nothing. It's embarrassing to watch sometimes. This year, it's been kind of off. Like, he's kind of leaving the ball a little more up. That's why teams were a little scared to acquire him at the off at the end. That's why teams were a little scared to acquire him at the MLB trade deadline. Speaking of trade deadline, a big need for the Boston Red Sox was a third baseman, and they thought that their answer was in their farm system. They actually called up the number twelve prospect in baseball this week, Raphael Devers, to take care of third base. The problem with that is. Rafael Devers has the bat needed to be in the big leagues, but that glove is not there yet. He draws many, many errors every game. If you watch him, it's embarrassing to watch sometimes. He's only ready for DH right now, but they're playing him in the field. And, I mean, they're playing him out there, obviously, like you said, and he ha- he's had a fairly decent start to his MLB career. That is really the one weak spot in the Red Sox lineup, though, that third base. They were looking for somebody to fill it. Uh, Yonder Alonso was on the radar for a while. Uh, Nunez over there in San Francisco. They ended up getting him, actually, so we'll see what happens between him and Devers, and we'll talk about that trade a little bit later. Um, Just a cool little fact that I saw this week, Bartolo Colon ended up pitching against Cody Bellinger on Monday, and actually 17 years before this year, uh, Bartolo ended up pitching to Clay Bellinger, Cody's father, and I think that that's just an outstanding statistic, and I mean, if you look at Bartolo Colon and the physique, he's not what you'd expect to really last a long time in sports, and I mean, 17 years at least is is a great accomplishment. Hey, old but gold, you know the saying, old but gold. Bartolo Colon, he's been in the league for so many years, he's probably pitched to so many dads, it's not even funny. Let's change topics altogether, and let's go to some more bats. Let's go to the Washington Nationals. 
Did you know they hit five home runs in one inning last week, including four in a row? They actually ended up with nine for the game, beating their franchise record by two home runs, which was originally seven, now it's nine, tying the MLB record. And the best thing about that was not only did they hit four in a row, but then later in the game they hit three more in a row and five in an inning. It's it's amazing. They literally went with that inning, home run, home run, home run, home run, out, home run. Like, there was only one person in between, and that's, I mean, that's a stat. They demolished the Brewers in that game. It wasn't even funny to watch. Um, somebody, though, that, you know, we've talked about a lot in the past, and kind of another little funny moment here this week, Adrian Beltre gets ejected in one of the weirdest ejections I've ever seen, where he was sneaking little by little sort of behind the batter's box, and Jerry Davis yelled at him, hey, you have to get on the batting circle. And Adrian Beltre, you know, Adrian being Adrian is pretty much what it is, just like Manny being Manny, decided to pick up the batting circle, bring it over to him, and step on that. Jerry Davis, uh, no sense of humor, I guess, ends up ejecting Beltre, and it was bad. He was 3-for-3 on the day looking uh, to get even closer to his 3,000th hit. I laughed when I saw that. That was so funny. That's totally an Adrian Beltre thing to do. Do I think he should have been ejected for that? Yeah, probably, because he's standing in somewhere where it gives him an advantage that others don't have. By standing behind the batter's box, you get a slight advantage with the pitcher. I get it, but come on, it was a blowout game anyway. Why eject him? Another crazy stat that happened this week, Steve Pierce of the Toronto Blue Jays. He had two walk-off grand slams in the same week. They were three days apart. That is extremely rare in baseball. To have one walk-off Grand Slam, let alone two. Phenomenal week to you, Steve Pierce. I give you a round of applause. I mean, it's amazing not only to hit one Grand Slam in a career, but in a, you know a lot of guys can do it in a season. Hitting two in a season is near impossible. Two in a week is statistically It's a statistical anomaly. Like it's never going to happen again. It's such a rare feat, and then to have them be walk-offs is even rarer. I mean. Steve Pierce, right man, right time. That's all That's all there really is to it. And then obviously another guy, right man, right time. And, you know, we talked about it the last couple weeks. Beltre was approaching 3,000. I said that we'd get it before the next show. And when we decided to move our Sunday show to today, it ended up helping out as Adrian Beltre collected hit number 3,000 on a double in Sunday night's game, or Sunday afternoon's game. Adrian Beltre, a milestone, a Hall of Fame player if he retired today. You know, when he hit that, that hit to get in that 3,000th, I saw somewhere, I didn't watch it myself, that his family ran out on the field, and instead of going to him, they went to the outfield where they op- they, they unraveled a banner that had Adrian Beltre 3,000 hits right on it. That's awesome. That, that's fantastic. Um, and obviously we said it, Beltre, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I don't think that there's any doubt about it. He's such a good player. Um, and another thing about the little hall of fame, the inductions were this weekend. Three guys ended up getting in that, you know, were great players, Tim Raines, Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez and Jeff Bagwell. And I mean, Raines, obviously a historical career in the final year of his eligibility gets in Yvonne Rodriguez, one of the greatest catchers and one of the greatest Hispanic catchers, especially huge for the game, huge for the Hispanic community, uh, gets it a lot of time with the Rangers. And then uh, Jeff Bagwell, I mean, part of the Killer Bees in Houston when they went to the World Series, faced off against the White Sox. Unfortunately, he didn't get himself a ring, but 
you know, Jeff Bagwell, I think the thing that I'll always remember and what a lot of people will remember is his batting stance. He looked like he was sitting on a toilet at all times, yet somehow, hands quick, power through, and he would just be amazing. And Cody, it's next year's Hall of Fame induction should be even better. Chipper Jones is probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Trevor Hoffman was at 74% last year. There's no way he doesn't get past that 75 percentile this year. We should already have two fantastic Hall of Famers going in next year. Who else do you think should make it? I think Jim Tomei has a chance to make it. Over 600 homers in his career. He has not been linked to the steroid era, which is what's going to help him. And I think that that's going to help push him over. Other guys that are notable on their first year, uh, Johnny Damon, Andrew Jones, Omar Vizquel, uh, Scott Rowland, Johan Santana, and I mean the ageless wonder Jamie Moyer, who I feel pitched for 60 years and is only like 40 right now. Somehow, uh, all of those first guys, first ballots next year, and I don't think any will be eliminated from the ballot next year at least. Oh no, Scott Rowland, one heck of a glove, one of the best fielding third basemen ever. Rowland, I'll always remember. He's a Cardinals guy. I was on the uh, Cubs fan. That red goatee that he would have, diet red, and it was just one of the weirdest things to me. But you know what? Cardinals fan and Cardinals player through and through, he had uh, had some loyalty to his team, I'll tell you that much. Well, moving on to the next segment, let's uh, talk about some power rankings, Cody. Who do you have on your top five for the week? You know, four of my guys will stay the same uh, from last week. The Dodgers, still the number one team. The Kershaw injury may hurt them, but they did go out. They made a couple of big deals at the deadline, really helped their bullpen, which I feel they were missing the most. Obviously, they got you Darvish as well. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I don't think that that was as big of a deal as picking up Tony Watson and Tony Singrani. Uh, Astros still at number two. I mean, such a good team. Didn't do much at the deadline, but I mean, when you have a squad like that, why should you? Nationals, number three. Uh, they dominated this week. They didn't have all the wins, but when they did, they sure showed their power. We did talk about Strasburg going on the DL. It'll hurt them for a couple weeks, but you know what? I think they're strong enough and in such a weak division that they're going to take it easily. Uh, moving up one spot, the Cubs from number 5 to number 4, 8-2 and two in the last 10. The starting pitching since the All-Star break, a 2.5 ERA. Outstanding. Jose Quintana picking it up and really pushing the rest of the starting rotation to a new level that they didn't have at all this year. And then the Yankees made probably the biggest moves at the deadline, coming in at number five, again, eight and two in the last 10, uh, passing up the Red Sox for that first place spot in the East. And I don't know, I don't think they're going to relinquish it the rest of the year. Um, On the outside looking in the Royals and Indians, I did want to put one of them in there because they're leading the Central or second in the Central, and they've been so great in the last week, they were or in the last ten days, they were both nine and one. But Cleveland faced zero teams that were over the five hundred win percentage, and KC only faced one team over that five hundred win percentage. I just couldn't put them there. But you know what? They've been extremely good. We'll see if next week they can pick it up and move themselves in. Brandon, I was uh, looking at yours a little bit. We have the same five teams, but in a little bit of a different order. Cody, I shook it up this week. My favorite team in baseball is the San Diego Padres. I really wish we got rid of Brad Hand, but other teams, they're just unfortunate enough not to get that acquisition. 
One team that's really fortunate, though, to get a great acquisition is the New York Yankees. As you mentioned, they acquired what I believe is the biggest game changer, and that's Sonny Gray. And that's why I have the Yankees at number one. They have, they have the highest K per nine innings pitched combined in their bullpen. You put any of those pitchers in there, and they can get you a strikeout guaranteed. You have Tommy Conley, Kaysen Shreve, David Robertson, Dylan Batanzas, Aroldis Chapman. There's bullpen I can salivate over. Their starting lineup is also the scariest in my opinion when Aaron Hicks returns and Starlin Castro returns. When it comes to the playoffs, you need three good pitchers, and I think the Yankees now have that. Their ace will be Severino, and then you got Sonny Gray, and then either CeCe Sabathia or Masahiro Tanaka, whoever's throwing it better. Right now it's CeCe, and he has experience, so I'm leaning towards him starting a playoff game comfortably. Coming in after the Yankees, I have the Los Angeles Dodgers, who do drop a spot, because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of you, Darvish. I love this team still, but I think that Zach Brennan would have been a, get, a better get. Hugh Darvish is not having a great year. His ERA is around 4. His FIP and XFIP are around 4. But this team is still stacked regardless that they have to be in everyone's top 5, let alone top 3, top 2. At number 3, I have the Washington Nationals. They also have a scary lineup with a very good 1-2-3 pitching trio. You have Max Scherzer, a healthy Steven Strasburg when he's back, and Gio Gonzalez. I love that. And, hey, they fixed their bullpen issues, I guess you can say. You have Ryan Madsen, a new addition into there. You have Doolittle, a new addition into there. And now you have Brandon Kinsler, who they just traded for at the deadline today. This team is gifted, and it should be fun to watch them play. But they're probably going to have to play the next team on my list in the playoffs, which will be very fun. It's the Chicago Cubs. They've been 13-3 and since the break, and they just added another stud to their loaded bullpen with Justin Wilson. They added catching depth with Alex Avila, and this team is finally clicking like they did last year. They are a true World Series threat yet again. And then at number five, I don't know why I still have them on my list, but I have the Houston Astros. I guess when you have that good of a record, you have to make my top five. But that team is not fit to win a World Series. Two of their three best players are currently injured, and they didn't really address anything at the deadline. I don't like their starting, starting pitching depth. I'm not a huge fan of it. And I don't think they have the talent needed to win a World Series. Is Dallas Keuchel and Lance McCullers going to stay healthy? I don't really know. Is, is Colin McHugh good enough to start a playoff game? I don't think so. I don't think he's got the control needed in order to win games. This team is still battling for home field advantage. And staying put at the deadline is probably going to cost them. They really could have used a Brad Hand. The two teams that just missed my cut are the Cleveland Indians and the Colorado Rockies. Cleveland Indians have been playing very good baseball as of late, and I love the Colorado Rockies, especially with their new acquisitions at the bullpen. I think that this team is looking to make a wild card spot, and I can see it definitely happening. Uh, one thing I will say about the Cubs, you mentioned 13-3 and since the All-Star break. The three games that they lost were the first games in a couple different series. They lost the first game, and then the second and third game they went and dominated. So they're going to have to figure out what it is when they go and, you know, take a team in that first game and what they're going to do to change it. But, I mean, everything you said is is right on point. I mean, we talked about it, and, you know, we talked about a bunch of trades that happened, why these teams are moving up in our power rankings. And let's start off with, obviously, the biggest uh, blockbuster deal of the week, you Darvish going to the Dodgers. You talked about it a little bit. 
I'm on board with you. I don't think that you Darvish is the answer. I think the Dodgers had a deep enough starting rotation that you Darvish was a pointless trade, if that makes any sense. He's a good trade where he's a good pitcher, but he hasn't been the same since his injury a couple years ago. And honestly, with their depth, I don't think that they needed you Darvish to come in. I will say this, though. They picked up two huge pieces in the bullpen. Tony Watson and Tony Singrani, both lefty pitchers, are going to dominate, and they're going to help lead the way to Kenley Jansen. And I think that that right there is one of the best 7-8-9 combos, where now your starters don't even need to go seven innings. They can go six innings. So bringing in you Darvish, once again, even more pointless. I think Watson and Singrani will be much bigger pieces. I'm on you with all of that, Cody. I just, I don't feel like Tony Singrani is that big of a piece. I know he has command issues, and the home run ball is a big issue for him. So come playoff time, I wouldn't be surprised if they had him as maybe a fifth-inning emergency relief pitcher. As with Tony Watson, I know they settled for him because they were looking into get, acquiring Brad Hand or Zach Britton, but they just did not want to sacrifice the prospects needed, which all makes sense. But I feel that if you gave Willie Calhoun, A.J. Alexi, and Brendan Davis to the Baltimore Orioles, they would be more than happy to give Zach Britton in return, and that would have been a better trade for them. I agree. The Washington Nationals, did they perform at the deadline or did they underperform at the deadline? I say that they did a really good job. They they looked at the pieces they needed most and they acquired them. On top of that, this team's a team that's going to get Trey Turner back in just a matter of a few weeks. When he comes back, he's a guy who will get you a stolen base a game. He'll get you a hit a game. And he has a defensive glove that I just adore. I think the Nationals did a good job by just settling for getting some relief pitchers. I think this team is stacked and ready for October. I think that the only thing that they needed was relief pitching. I don't think they got the right guys. Obviously, Doolittle in that closer role right now uh, has been very good. Uh, they also got Ryan Madsen in that trade. He's a, he's a good bullpen guy. And they picked up Brandon Kinsler today from Minnesota. And once again, Kinsler is a good reliever. Question is... Who will close in that in that bullpen? You have three guys who were all closers at one point in their career vying for that one spot. Are they going to respond well to being in that seventh role, to being in that eighth role, to being in the, maybe even that sixth role? And at the same time, I talked about it. They're all good. None of them are great. None of them are that dominant relief pitcher that the Nationals needed to push themselves over the edge. I think that the Nationals are going to get into the playoffs. But I think that they're going to be really sorry because the way that the playoffs go now is your starting pitcher goes five, maybe six innings on a good day, and then it's all bullpen, and I don't think they have the bullpen to make it. One move that I do like, though, they did pick up Howie Kendrick earlier in the week from the Phillies. He's going to be a utility guy, kind of fill in for a lot of resting players and a lot of injuries, and I think Howie Kendrick was was a great move by the Nationals, one of the more underrated players in the league still. Uh, I mean, this next team, we've talked about it already a bunch of times. The Yankees strengthening the bullpen, the starting rotation today, but really just overall strengthening their whole team. Uh, Sonny Gray, a fantastic guy, had a down year last year. Bad sort of first half. He's been turning it around as of recently, though. Traded to the Yankees, and the Yankees now have a six-man rotation that they have to figure out what to do with. They asked Girardi about it. He said Jordan Montgomery, who's been a really good rookie for them this year, is going to go either in the bullpen or they're going to ship him back down to AAA, let him get some more starts in, and just be sort of a spot starter in case they need it. 
Um, they did end up trading three big prospects, though, that become the numbers 3, 5, and 11 prospects to Oakland. But you know what? If you're in sort of a win-now mode, why not go for it? The Yankees have a good mix of young guys and old guys that I think will help carry them through the playoffs. Um, and speaking of old guys, they did get Jaime Garcia. Jaime was flipped uh, this week. He was traded to the Twins earlier in the week and then flipped to the Yankees after only one start. And once again, Jaime finishing rounding out that rotation. If I'm a Yankee fan, I have nothing but smiles right now because Brian Cashman is probably the best GM out there right now. He just acquired Sonny Gray without giving up any of his top prospects. In fact, two of the three prospects the Yankees give up are currently out for the rest of the season. Remember Dustin Fowler had that fielding issue when he, it was his first game as a Yankee and then he tore his ACL in the outfield trying to catch a ball. Jorge Mateo, I do like him, but that's the only guy I like. And then you got James Caprillion. He was a first-round pick for the Yankees, but he had Tommy John surgery. He's out for the rest of this year. It's a huge risk for Oakland. They, they just acquired two guys who are out for the rest of the season. And then Jorge Mateo, who's only their number four prospect for the Yankees. Brian Cashman did a phenomenal job keeping his top prospects while also getting Sonny Gray, who's controlled for two more seasons. Another trade that we can talk about was the Cubs getting veteran catcher Alex Avila and solid lefty bullpen specialist Justin Wilson. What are your thoughts on that since you are a native Cubs fan, Cody? This is one of my favorite trades of the deadline. And when people look at it and Cubs fans look at it, they get mad because you gave up uh, Candelario, who's your number one prospect, has played a couple games in the league, and then uh, Isaac Paredes, your number 10 prospect, a shortstop in the minors. And people are mad, oh, we gave up so much for this, look at other teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers, they didn't give up their top prospect, why did we? You want to know what? Honestly, Theo did such a good job of building that farm system for so long that he put together such a young team that is going to last. Like, the Cubs don't have a one-year window to win. They have a five-year window or a four-year window where they can do a lot, and then you just have to fill pieces from there until it's finally done. So he's done a great job for long-term success and the chance to win. And what he did here, he gave up two guys who weren't in the top 10 or weren't in the top 5 a couple weeks ago, but because they traded some top prospects to the White Sox, boom, they move up. That's why Candelario's number 1 instead of number 3 or 4. That's why Paredes is number 10 instead of number 13. Um, it's, it's such a good trade because you're trading away guys who are number 1 by default, whereas you're picking up one of the best relievers in the game in Justin Wilson you know, one of the most consistent took over the closer role earlier this year for Francisco Rodriguez in Detroit. And Alex Avila, who's having an outstanding season, hitting about 280 with a ton of homers, more than he's really ever had in his career at this point. And it's it's great. Um, and somebody else that the Cubs picked up that we talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago, Jose Quintana, really helping that bullpen. A 257 ERA and 25 strikeouts in 19 innings pitched since coming over uh, to the north side of Chicago. I mean, those three trades right there put the Cubs back into contention for a World Series. I, I Honestly, I can't argue that. I'm looking at the depth chart right now. Alex Avila was a perfect fit because I know Victor Caratini, rookie for the Cubs, wasn't really doing anything much. So Avila gives you a nice backup catcher role, nice veteran presence to have there. And then Justin Wilson, he's a much-needed lefty in your bullpen. You guys didn't really have that great of lefties other than Mike Montgomery. And I just think... It's a perfect team for Joe Madden to coach. It would not surprise me at all if the Cubs were the team to come out of the National League as your NL champions. The best thing about Avila as well that people don't realize, 
he also plays enough first base. And so if you need Rizzo to get a day of rest, if the Cubs take a huge lead in the Central, you want to give Rizzo rest. I mean, he took a rest the other day for back stiffness. You can put Alex Avila in at first base or Wilson Contreras even in at first base, save his legs a little bit, and you have that extra guy to really sub both places. Um, Speaking of first base, though, Tampa Bay went out. They got Lucas Duda and a, uh, a couple other guys this week. What do you think of the moves that Tampa made? It's a big question mark because I see players that they acquired telling me, hey, they're buying this year. But then I see some trades that confuse me. For example, they traded away Tim Beckham to the Orioles for a prospect. I mean, Tim Beckham was hitting around 270 this year. He was quality and he's a super utility guy. You can play throughout the infield. Along with that, I don't know how I feel about the Steve Ciszek for Erasmo Ramirez deal. Erasmo Ramirez is a really good reliever. I'm not sure how I feel about these trades, but I do like the Lucas Duda trade. He's been really, he's he's been. I'm giving this, I'm giving the Rays a question mark because I have no idea where they're going. I have to agree with you, Duda. If you look at that, it's definitely a buy. They're definitely buying there. They get themselves a DH, possible first baseman, depending on what they do between Duda and Morrison. Uh, Steve Chishek. I mean, you trade him for Rasmus Ramirez, who are both the same reliever. I mean, Chishek has a little bit better numbers, but. You're not trading for a stud on either side, so really that, to me, was a question of between the Mariners and the Rays, who's the buyer there? Who's the seller? I think that it was just a straight dud of a deal, pretty much. And then, like you said, Tim Beckham to the Orioles for a prospect. It, it kind of opened up a space at short at shortstop or second base. They didn't really have room. Heck of, uh, Hechevarria was playing shortstop. They can now move Brad Miller up a spot to second base. Uh, he was second on their depth chart. Let him expand his... Uh, expand himself a little bit, play a little bit more, get get them there, and maybe they think that Miller is the guy over Beckham, a former number one overall pick for the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, he did go to the Orioles, though, and that's the next team we're going to talk about, actually. And the Orioles, same boat as the Rays. Are they buyers or are they sellers? Because they go and they get Tim Beckham on a last-minute deal at the deadline, and then they acquire Jeremy Hellickson as well, but they're in the AL East, the toughest division to really move up in. And it's, it's such a big question mark. I mean, obviously, the starting rotation for the Orioles has been horrendous. Like, one of the worst uh, ERAs from a starting rotation this year. I believe it's actually the worst. And they're going to think that Hellickson improves it. They did trade away Hyunsoo Kim, who they got last year, and thought he was going to be a huge part of their uh, team and just wasn't working out for them. You know, with the Orioles, I underestimate Buck Showalter. He is one of the best managers in the game. But again, that, that starting pitching rotation is a giant question mark for me. But when you look at their lineup, they do have some studs throughout. And I know that you'll be putting Tim Beckham where I believe Ruben Tejada was starting. You should never have Ruben Tejada as a starter on any team. I'm sorry, not even the Padres. So, I feel like the Orioles think they can compete, which makes sense if Manny Machado gets clicking again. Adam Jones steps it up again. If Chris Davis keeps it up, this team does have players needed to make it to the postseason. So I really, I, I can't tell you how I feel about the Orioles. If they made it, it wouldn't surprise me. If they missed it, I, I don't know how I feel. One that nobody saw doing well at the beginning of the year and has turned it around 110% are the Kansas City Royals. This team started off at the bottom of the AL Central, and right now they are a wild card spot and close to being NL Central champs. They're in second place, only a couple games back Cleveland. 
they made some acquisitions to try to improve their team, and they're giving it one more shot of the World Series run. How do you feel about that, Cody? I think that the moves that they made are very good moves. You look at it, Melky Cabrera, they got him. He's going to go out starting right field. Now your outfield is Alex Gordon, Lorenzo Cain, Melky Cabrera. I mean, that's a solid outfield that's going to be able to do some big damage for you. Um, and then they go out. I'm going to have to stop you there. I actually think that Alex Gordon is going to be the, the lone man out because he's only hitting around 200. It's Jorge Bonifacio they want to keep on the field. He's playing phenomenally. And it's going to be tough. They may go with a four-guy rotation where every day somebody else takes off. The only guy I think that will really stick it out there, Lorenzo Cain, because Melky is also, he can go and he can play left field. So I think what they may do is swap Gordon, Cabrera, and Bonifacio. It's a big possibility. I mean, he's a good player. Alex Gordon is very good defensively, though, and that may be what they do and the reason that they keep him out there. Smart decision, Bonifacio for the first couple. When you get the lead, put Gordon out there, secure the game, shut it down. Um, but they did also go out and they got some relievers. And I mean, this is more on you, I guess. You're the Padres expert here. Uh, Royals went out. They got Maurer, Butcher, and Cahill from the Padres. Pretty much the only big name they gave up there was Travis Wood, a solid relief pitcher, long relief pitcher, and I guess you could say outfielder from what he played for the Cubs. Uh, and he ended up starting, and he's going to be a starter, it seems like, in San Diego. Yeah, no, with that trade, it was a lot more to look into because Matt Strom was another guy we received from the Royals, and he's out for the rest of the year. But scouts have said that when he's healthy, he is a top-of-the-rotation pitcher, and the Padres are really just taking the risk with that. And Travis Wood, I was actually at his first outing with the Padres, and he pitched he pitched great. He went six innings, didn't allow an, uh, an earned run. I think he only gave up one or two, two hits. I believe he only gave up two hits in six innings against the Pirates. And then the main prospect, though, that we got is a Story Ruiz. He wasn't in the Kansas City top 30 prospect list, but he's young. He's only 18 years old, and scouts are saying he has tremendous bat speed. And his body's still growing. He can grow into a major leaguer. And they're saying that his ceiling is all-star caliber. So I am ecstatic for this trade for the Padres. And they're giving up Brandon Maurer and Ryan Buchter. Ryan Buchter has a good ERA, and he's more of a sixth-inning guy. With Brandon Maurer, you can put him in in the seventh or eighth inning, and he's going to get you strikeouts. He has an extremely good XFIP. It's under three. Like That speaks margins because his ERA is over five. But when you have that low of an XFIP, it just means you're being a little unlucky on the field. Everything's going to turn around for Maurer, and this trade's going to be very fair in the end if Astoria Ruiz turns out to be MLB caliber. I got to tell you, the Rockies went out this week then. Uh, another team competing for a playoff spot has it right now, but who knows if they're going to hold on. A uh, couple of big moves picking up Lucroy and Nishek. What are your opinions? Wow. The Rockies did a phenomenal job. I love the Pat Nishek acquisition. The Rockies needed another bullpen piece. Every team always needs more bullpen help. So when you compare him up with Greg Holland, you have a good eighth inning, ninth inning punch right there. And then you have an, now you have a really good um, catcher with Jonathan Lucroy, who Texas sold high for, and Texas bought high on Lucroy and then sold low on him. It was so stupid on the Rangers' behalf. I give them a grade F for basically giving up on someone who's having a sal- He's on contract here. He needs to perform well, and he realizes that. I think Coors is going to be the magical place for him. He's going to put up at least 300 the rest of the season. 
you know, that Lucroy acquisition, I think, makes the Rockies the most feared lineup in the league. I mean, if top to bottom, head to toe, you look at that lineup, and I mean, Blackman, LeMahieu, Arenado, Lucroy, Reynolds, Para, Cargo, and Story. Story is your weak link there as a shortstop who came out and had a phenomenal rookie season. A little bit of a letdown this year after the injury. Uh, but it's, I mean, top to bottom, to me, that's the scariest lineup, and especially playing in course Field when you go eight guys deep who can hit homers, steal bases, and field like none other, I think that's the team that should be most feared right now. I don't think that they're a top-five team, but I think that they're going to make their move here in the next couple weeks. Obviously, Nishak does help the pen, like you said. Phenomenal 8-9 punch now that you have Nishak and you have Holland. Uh, it's great. I mean, it's what they needed. The one thing that they did need, though, that they did not address, and this kind of disappointed me, they need starting pitching. They have such young starting pitchers at Coors Field. They're trying to hold back Kyle Freeland. They don't want him to pitch too many innings. They're going to do that with all their guys. I don't think they have the starting pitching to make a run. And it's hard to pitch a Coors Field to begin with, but it's even harder as a, rook- as a rookie. So I think that offensively, amazing. Pitching-wise, could have improved on a little bit. They needed a couple starting pitchers. Teams that did go out there, they helped their pitching as well, uh, and sort of in the same scenario, I guess you could say. The Brewers, they went out, they bolstered their bullpen. Anthony Swarzak, they picked up from the Chicago White Sox early in the week. And then a little bit of a funny story here, Jeremy Jeffress, who they traded away at the deadline last year to the Texas Rangers along with Lucroy, and then this year at the deadline, Rangers said, nope, you can have him back, and traded them right back to the to the Brewers. Uh, Milwaukee has two more relievers, but again, it's the starting pitching that's going to be the question mark there. Will the relievers be enough to help them overcome the Cubs? Not with Anthony Swarzak being the guy you go to. I don't care. Anthony Swarzak pitched for the Chicago White Sox. They didn't. There was no reason for them to win. Swarzak felt no pressure. But now he's joining this Milwaukee's Brewer, Milwaukee Brewers club where they need to win every game. It's that type of like win-now mentality. And I feel like it, it's not going to fit well for him. He's going to choke under the pressure. I don't think the Brewers did what they should have at the deadline. They needed to go and acquire a starting pitching ace, and they didn't get one. I'm very disappointed the Brewers. I give them... A C minus at best. A team that I did like this trade deadline is the Boston Red Sox, mainly because of Eduardo Nunez. They, he was acquired earlier this week, and that's definitely the answer they needed at third base. And then they also went and got some bullpen help, like going to the New York Mets and asking for Addison Reed. Addison Reed's had about a 2.3 ERA the whole season. He's pitched 56 innings, 54 strikeouts. He's definitely a guy you can put there right before the only reason that the Addison Reed trade made sense to me was because of the injury to Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly was having a great year. Obviously, it's talked about every time he's on TV by the phenomenal crew over there at ESPN. They talk about how he shortens his arm. He doesn't have that long arm uh, track anymore. He shortens it. He short arms it. But you know what? He's pumping up the speed even more, uh, but he's injured. He's on the DL for quite some time. Addison Reed, they go out and get him. He's a beautiful setup, man. Uh, And then Eduardo Nunez, you talked about it, acquired from the Giants earlier this week. Question is, will it be him or will it be Devers at third? Maybe split time, maybe allow Devers to learn from Nunez. But my thing is, is it enough for 
the Red Sox to compete with the Yankees in that East? And I just don't think so. Yankees made too many moves, acquired a couple of star pitchers uh, and some pitching, some starting depth. They acquired a much better third baseman than Eduardo Nunez, who's still a very good player. I think the Yankees won at the trade deadline, and I think the Yankees are going to win the East. 100% agree. But a team that did make more moves that I don't think is going to end up making the playoffs is now the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes, at one point, I'd love the Diamondbacks, but they're just getting hit with so much unfortunate luck. A couple nights ago, starting pitcher Robbie Ray got hit in the head by a 112-mile-per-hour combatter. He was holding his hand to his head. He was carted off the field, and there was blood coming from his head. Robbie Ray, please, please get better. You are missed in the MLB. Other than that, the Diamondbacks did make some moves. They went and acquired Gabe Hernandez to help fill out their bullpen, and they acquired Adam Rosales after they found out Chris Owings is going to be on the paternity list because his mother unfortunately passed away. And, I mean, yeah, they they picked up only two guys at the deadline. I don't think either of them are the guys to push them over the edge. Uh, like you said, David Hernandez in the bullpen, he's a good guy who can get in there. He's a solid uh, relief pitcher, was with the Diamondbacks before going back home pretty much, and then Adam Rosales, uh, he'll be able to roam around a utility player, can play a lot of different positions on the infield, uh, possibly try him out in the corner outfield, who knows about that, but really he's just going to be there to really help out around the edges, and then, I mean, he may be their starting shortstop now with the Chris Owings injury, it's possible, but I still don't think he's the guy that they needed, I think Chris Owings was better, Owings was better, I think they needed somebody else at a caliber like that. Um, other teams though, obviously we talked about the bullpen being such a big thing so far. Uh, we'll go quickly. Three other teams that acquired bullpen help. The Cleveland Indians acquired for Joe Smith. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates picked up Joaquin Benoit from the Phillies. And the weirdest move of the deadline, the Mets with their rival Miami Marlins get AJ Ramos for the number nine and number 22 prospect. And I honestly don't know what to make of that one. It confuses me because when it happened, I thought maybe the Mets are going to get him and then flip him for better prospects, kind of like the Twins did, but it didn't happen. You know, what? what's your take on why would the Mets do something like that? I think I understand why they did it now. They're really relying on their starting pitching getting healthy again next season, and then they want to use Ramos in the eighth inning role right behind Familia to close games. Let's not forget that he's still their closer and come next year. The Mets could be competitive, and I think that's why they went to go get A.J. Ramos. Not not more so for a rebuild or for this year, but I think they did it mainly for next year. What do you think about the Astros, Cody, being surprisingly quiet? They acquired Francisco Liriano to get their lefty in the bullpen, but nothing else. Do you think that they needed to make a move? The most sad sad thing at the deadline was the Astros not doing anything. Lariano's going to be good. He may spot start. He'll sit in the bullpen for a while. You know, I think that their offense is amazing. They're going to score runs no matter what. Is it going to be enough to push them forward? I don't think so. You talked about it earlier. The reason that they're number five in your power rankings, their starting rotation is not deep enough. Morton had a good first game back. Michael Fires has been decent all year. But like you said, McCullers and Keuchel and McHugh, just not consistent enough right now. Keuchel, obviously, when he's healthy is, but he's injured all the time. Um, 
it made me really sad because the I thought it was going to be an Astros Cubs World Series. Sorry, Dodgers fans, I don't think that you guys are going to make it still. Uh, but I think Cubs Astros World Series, and unfortunately at the deadline they're now taking a down notch, and I think the Yankees are going to be back in it. It would not surprise me at all if the Yankees didn't make it. Four trades that didn't happen that we really thought would. We thought Jeff Samarjo was gone. We thought Brad Hand was going to be out of San Diego. Zach Britton and Brad, Bar- Brad Brock, we thought that they were going to be out of Baltimore. And the Bud Norris had teams that inquired about him, but he's still in Anaheim. What's up with this? What's up with all of that? It, it was confusing because the Giants are nowhere close to being a buying team. One of the worst teams in the league, bottom three records in the league. I don't even understand why the Giants held on to anybody. The only person they traded away was Eduardo Nunez. I mean, there were talks of them trading away Johnny Cueto, Jeff Samarja, some of those bigger names, obviously. Mad bum off the table at all times, no matter how old he is, no matter how injured he is. But the other two, I mean, Jeff Samarja, 9.2 strikeout to walk rate. It's one of the best five seasons since 1947, yet he's on such a bad team and his ERA is so high, but his FIP is low. So people don't people don't understand it. It's the fielding is the weakest in the league. Therefore, he has to face more batters because his guys aren't making the hard plays. They aren't making the easy plays, so it's even harder. Um, you know, 17 relievers traded since the All-Star break. Brad Hand, I think, was the most talked about pitcher in the whole league. You know, starting, I think he was the most talked about player. It doesn't matter if he was position player or reliever. Brad Hand, every single person wanted a piece of him. Even teams that were sellers wanted a piece of Brad Hand. I don't know what happened there. Uh, Padres must have thought better of it and said, well, we'll keep him for a little bit longer. Try again in the future. Uh, And then Zach Britton and Brad Brack, two guys in Baltimore. Once again, we still don't know if they're actually buyers or sellers out there in Baltimore, but... You know, they decided that Britton and Brack were part of what they wanted to rebuild around, I guess, and they're going to hold on to them for at least another year. And then Bud Norris, he was kind of an out-there person. Uh, the teams inquired. Angels weren't really looking to shop him unless it was the right deal, and it kind of shut down pretty quickly. Uh, and then there were a couple under-the-radar candidates that we thought may have been moved. Jerry Blevins in uh, New York with the Mets possibility that he was going to be moved most efficient lefty reliever over the past two years and then Kirby Yates once again with the pods uh you know he was an outside chance of being moved as well but with Brad Hand not moving you know that Yates is not going to move either yeah with Kirby Yates he does that he does have a great whiff rate but when players make contact against him it usually leaves the yard so the fact that he hasn't been getting at home runs lately is a good sign, but it's not a big enough sample size. So the Padres figured, why not take a gamble? Let's keep him for another half season and look at him more come wintertime. If he's keeping up great production, his value will be higher. He'll likely be traded come winter meetings. Same goes with Brad Hammond. He's able to stay dominant in the ninth inning role for the second half of the year. Expect both of those players to be traded come winter meetings. So, Cody, uh, what do you have to watch for this week? What do you say is worth keeping an eye on? Uh, There are some big things happening this week. Obviously, we're going to keep a lookout on all these trades. Who will make the biggest impact for their team? Honestly, I think it's going to be the two relievers getting traded to the Dodgers. I think that was one of the best trades of the deadline, along with the Cubs' two pickups. Those are my guys that are going to make the biggest impact for their teams. This will be a really good week for baseball for those that don't really know it 
Um, Cleveland and Boston are both going to get out there and play each other this week. It's going to be a great series. First place team in the Central, second place team in the East. And it'll show, did Boston do enough with Nunez and Reed to keep them in contention with the Yankees? And did Cleveland do enough just by acquiring Joe Smith? Do they have the team to be able to repeat and get to the World Series again? Dodgers and Braves. Dodgers, obviously, best team in the league right now. Braves, I think, are the most underrated team at this point. They have such a good roster, and they're only going to be able to build on it. Uh, The Cubs, two very tough series this week. They go in playing the Diamondbacks, who didn't make a ton of moves. They're hurting a little bit, but they're still the Arizona Diamondbacks who have players like Jake Lamb and Paul Goldschmidt, who are two of the better players in the league. And then this weekend, they go and take on the Nationals. It's a potential first round of the playoffs matchup, and we'll see. It's going to be Harper versus Bryant, two friends from childhood. Who's going to get the better of each other? And it'll be a fun, fun, fun series to watch. Uh, out I gotta in, ask you, I gotta ask you: Are the Nationals a team that intentionally walked Chris Bryant a million times, or was that someone else? No, it was the Cubs intentionally walking Bryce Harper last year. Right. If that's, that's what you're thinking of. Bryce Harper, I believe in that series, went something like one for three or one for four. He didn't get a lot because he was walked so much that it ended up screwing with him. He wasn't able to get in there, and he wasn't able to get the swings to get that retention down. And so we'll see. They didn't do it earlier in the year, but is Joe Madden going to go back to that now? And it, it was about this time of the year, I believe, that it ended up happening, actually. So it's going to be, I mean, it, it's Joe Madden, one of the greatest managers in the league, versus Dusty Baker who, in my opinion, is not a very good manager, but has a dominant team right now. One of the best hitting lineups in the league. And Bryce Harper is coming off. He recently lost a 19-game hitting streak, so he is seeing the ball really well right now. Maybe that makes Joe Madden want to walk him more. That's worth looking at. You know? Pay attention to that game. The people will be behind him to be able to hit in case Harper gets on. That's the difference between this year and last year. Nonetheless, a very good team and... In Joe, we trust. That's all I have to say about that. Now, I saw that you had something interesting on Albert Pujols. Am I am I right? Yeah, uh, Pujols, on the verge of two milestones, he is only two homers away from tying Slam and Sammy Sosa at number 609, number 8 overall in the home run history. And then, uh, quite on the opposite side, one double play away from passing Cal Ripken Jr. for the most double plays grounded into in history. And it kind of surprised me. He's at 350 right now. Obviously, he's been playing a while, but Pujols, not a very big ground ball guy. Double plays. Apparently, he grounds into a lot of them. I would have never thought it. Well, I'm going to actually add something in there. Mine's going to be something a lot watched for in the minors. My, my, my player that I'm keeping an eye on is Michael Baez of the San Diego Padres. He's their number seven prospect, and his numbers are straight up fire. The went six and two thirds inning, gave up one unearned run, and struck out fourteen. Now he has fifty-four strikeouts in just thirty-four and two thirds innings, and he's their number seven prospect. The San Diego Padres system is loaded with prospects waiting to blossom. They are what to watch. All right, well, that sums it up for another episode of Knuckleball Radio. That's already three episodes down. Hope you guys enjoyed it and expect them to keep rolling out. You guys have a great rest of your day. And, hey, baseball all day, every day. All right.